Hey friends, this week we're picking up our infrequent yet ongoing series on the topic of sanctification. Jeff Chang started us in this series a while back, and we have been using Jerry Bridges' book, The Discipline of Grace. Again, that's Jerry Bridges' The Discipline of Grace, an excellent book to check out. This week, the topic is commitment, and my guest is none other than my friend Mark Whitcomb. So hope you are encouraged and helped. Mark Whitcomb, welcome to the Disciple Henson podcast. Thanks, Dan. We're wearing the same pants today. Yeah. Well, not the same. Uh, they look the same. Different pairs, for sure. Yep. Yeah. I noticed that Jeff Wilson Hume was also wearing a similar color. What do you think that all means? Uh, hopefully, great minds think alike. Amen. So, Mark, uh, you serve as an associate pastor here at Henson. You've been here how many years now? Six? Uh, I've been in Portland almost eight now. Eight? So, yeah, just over seven. Time flies. Yep. You're married to Jen. Indeed. You have three children. Yeah. And you work with young adults uh, a good bit, That especially early on. You kind of took um, that Bible study Monday nights. Um, and millennials and Generation Z are known for being unable to commit to things. I don't want to throw them under the bus. But what about, have you found that to be true in your experience? Yeah, I think so. And uh that stems back, I think, further than just what we recognize as millennials and Gen Z. Uh, I think it's more evident now, but I think it's from previous generations. Um, really, going back to even like my grandfather, he's a farmer. He was a farmer in Pennsylvania. And I got to see in his life somebody who could shake on something, and that was as good as a guarantee. Like it was going to happen. Because, oh, like shake hands. Yeah. Okay. And literally, you know, there was no need for a contract. There's no need for you know, paperwork. It was, I'm going to do this. I'm going to shake on it. It's going to be done. And uh, I just think we've gotten away from that. Well, we can't shake hands now because of COVID. This is true, but maybe we could fist bump. But uh, mm. yeah, I, I think the current generations um, that we're seeing coming up, uh, yeah, there there seems to be a lack of commitment in certain areas um, of their lives. Uh, and we see that as Christians as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael told us on in the sermon on Sunday that youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. Um, you and I are millennials. Did you uh, take offense at that? No, I didn't take offense at it, but I, I think there's a lot of helpful truth in that. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think commitment is so difficult in general? Yeah, I, I think um, uh, speaking just from our current cultural standpoint, just as a society, I mean, we're, we're very busy people. We jump from one thing to the next. We're, we're not settled uh, in our commitments. And so we're always looking for the next best thing, right? The new iPhone's about to come out and so many people are going to buy it, even though their current iPhone probably works fine. Yours doesn't though. Mine does not. So I'm, I'm in the market. Um, but we recognize, uh, in our culture, not just that consumerism, but also self-preservation. Hmm. Um, we hear this language in our own society of, you know, you do what's best for you. You promote yourself, you become the person you want to be. And there's little care for others, right? Self-sacrifice and mm-hmm. love. Um, and, and honestly, even as we think about past generations, I think uh, if I can step on some toes, I think we've gotten a little soft, right? All of a sudden in competitions, we're ready to give a consolation prize and so nobody's feelings are hurt that they weren't the best. And the reality is uh, in our society, like we, we often just want people to feel okay that they didn't fulfill their commitment, that they didn't 
actually win, so to speak. And what uh, would your grandfather say to those people, to us? Oh, he, he'd tell us to suck it up and, uh, accept that sometimes you lose and sometimes you win, you work harder. Hmm. And I know that that was part of the mentality handed down to me. And I try to be aware of that and compassionate, Mm -hmm. uh, towards where we're at in our society. But I think in one sense, we're a little soft at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, today we want to talk about commitment to God in particular and what that looks like. Uh, so before we think about what commitment to God is, we need to talk about what it isn't. Uh, so uh, coming out of those kind of general reflections on how we struggle with commitment in general, um, you grew up in what is kind of generically labeled fundamentalism. Um, we won't take time right now to parse out all that that means. It doesn't mean we're going to have to just bank on our audience knowing you yeah. and kind of knowing what that means. Um, did you grow up seeing a lot of people committed to Christian values, but not necessarily committed to God? Oh, yeah. So this is definitely part of uh, the background and culture that I grew up with, is people uh, who are really committed to keeping standards, rules, guidelines, um, and yet at some point in their life you would recognize, oh, they're not actually committed to this. They don't truly love God. They're just really good at keeping rules. Hmm. Um, and so and what kind of what kind of rules were those? Oh, it could be everything from... Uh, you know, personal standards of holiness, um, of, you know, I'm not, nobody should ever go to a movie theater because some movies are bad. Therefore, we're going to just assume if you go to a movie theater, you're doing something that you shouldn't do as a Christian, right? Um, To uh, a good Christian is going to dress really clean cut and tuck in their shirt and have really short hair. Many things which I don't practice to this day um, because that's not a definition of my holiness, right? So why why does this happen in Christian culture and, and maybe even to some extent in our church today? Why do we find it easier, not not just speaking in terms of like sociology, like our relationship with others, but even in our own lives personally? Why do we why do you think it's easier to commit ourselves to Christian values rather than God? Or why why do we opt that way, do you think? Yeah, so I'm happy to share my opinion on this, and if you if you have a counter to this, I'm I think that's great. But part of what I recognize is uh, it, it is honestly it's easier at times to keep rules and standards than it is to live in transparency, um, to hold to a commitment of uh, living all out for Christ. Is if I can just set some very tangible, accessible guidelines of doing X, Y, and Z, I can accomplish that. I can measure it, I can see it, um, rather than the hard work of every day pursuing Christ, right, and setting my mind and my heart on that. I, I do think another aspect of that is fear of man, mm. um, how quickly uh, we turn to keeping rules so that others are happy with us, rather than the transparency of, no, I'm a broken sinner, and I'm going to fail at times, and I can trust that you're going to love me in that instead of judge me and condemn me for that. No, I'm not going to uh, disagree with you on this podcast, Mark. I'm just going to say everything you say is correct because, you know, uh, everybody gets a participation trophy, right? I love it. Right. Great. I look forward to my badge. Um, I, no, I, I think, I think one, you're right. Like uh, the call to, to Christ is higher than the call to a set of behaviors. Jesus is certainly clear about that on the yeah. Sermon on the Mount, right? Yeah. Uh, second, fear of man. Um, and then I think third, and it's kind of related to those two, are... 
um, just it's, we'd like to feel in control. Yeah. Right. And so we can control our behavior and out, you know, you can more maybe quickly see, uh, the, the fruit or the result from doing X, Y, Z, and then therefore I'm holy rather than, uh, recognizing that even your motives are stained with sin and need to be dealt with at the cross rather yeah. than in your own uh, sin management. Yeah, and that's that's hard work. That's hard work to dig in to where is my heart and my mind in the pursuit of Christ, not just am I doing the right things, but is my heart and mindset on who Christ is and what he's accomplished for me at the cross. I think, uh, you know, recently I've been reading through Galatians. I think Galatians 2, 3, 5 are really helpful uh, in this regard of just Paul's own admission uh, of the right heart motivation in what's being done. That's great. Um, Jerry Bridges in his book, The Discipline of Grace, I think that's the name of it. I always forget. It is. Okay, thank you. He quotes the 19th uh, century British writer Frederick Faber who says the following, and I'd love to just get your thoughts. I think it kind of uh, summarizes in some ways what we're talking about in terms of what commitment isn't and how we deal with sin. So this is what Frederick says, our good boy. When we sin, we are more vexed at the lowering of our self-esteem than we are grieved at God's dishonor. We are surprised and irritated at our own lack of self-control and subjecting ourselves to unworthy habits. The first cause of this is you referenced this earlier, self-love, which is unable to stand the disappointment of not seeing ourselves in time of trial come out beautiful, erect, and admirable. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is so helpful uh, in thinking through what, you know, what is the motivation behind our Christian walk and pursuing holiness? Um, You know, when we find ourselves failing uh, in the Christian life, breaking our commitment to God, um, giving in to sin, uh, Generally, I, I think, uh, even from self-testimony here, I think our first disappointment and response is to be disappointed in myself, right? And instead uh, of being disappointed or uh, feeling that weight of detracting from God's glory as one who gave himself for me, uh, you know, the example that, that comes to mind of just pointing to like how it can be about us is in the marriage relationship— uh, I might fail my wife in being angry, and I can see that failure and walk away and be really frustrated at myself, and yet never notice I'm not loving her. Like, how am I promoting her and helping her, not just the fact that I was angry, but now how do I turn and actually encourage her in her growth and in her walk and who she is? And instead, I'll see that angry situation and turn everything on myself. Well, I can be a better person. I should have done better and feel that failure instead of turning that towards positive, growing her and seeing her excel. That's such a great illustration because, you know, obviously we we know from scripture that marriage is an expression of oneness and a picture of Christ and his relationship with the church. So yet how quick are we to even in the closeness and the intimacy of a marriage relationship, you know, make it all about us Yeah, uh, and us being the me. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Great. So we spent the first 10 minutes of this podcast poo-pooing, uh, you know, young people and how they're not committed to anything. And we've talked about what commitment isn't. I think it's a uh, high time that we talk about what commitment is, particularly commitment to God. Absolutely. Um, so what are some scriptures that we can go to that express commitment to God? Yeah, I think there's a lot of texts. Actually, if we're 
willing to slow down and think about the emphasis of those texts that would remind us, oh yeah, this is a committed covenant relationship with God. Uh, but two texts that I just want to touch on briefly. One is Romans 6, uh, verse 13. Uh, Paul writes, And do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. In verse 14, he says, For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. I think this challenge from Paul uh, is, is just such a helpful reminder that uh, I'm going to work hard in my own life to pursue uh, the fact that I want God to use me as a, a vessel of righteousness, right? Uh, to, to be able to use my body, my being of who I am to point to righteousness. And, and therefore, uh, that even takes that action on, on myself, right, to pursue that. And I think that's seen uh, later on in Romans, which is the other text uh, that I want to remind us of, really familiar to us, but Romans uh, 12 and uh, in verse 1, right? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship, right? Our act of worship in this life is trusting that God's mercy is enough for us to be able to offer myself as a sacrifice, to give of myself for my own spiritual growth, but God's glory, right? And I think these two texts are helping point us in the right direction of what does commitment look like? It's being ready to give of myself that God would glorify himself. Yeah, those are some great observations on those two texts. And I think those, you know, Paul makes it really clear throughout Romans, but particularly in those two passages that you mentioned, that um, a commitment to Christ is an all-of-life commitment. You know, he says, don't, he doesn't say in Romans 6.13, offer kind of the spiritual part of yourselves to God, like offer your, like that kind of part of your life. And then in um, Romans 12, he says, offer your, present your bodies. And there I think he's meaning to get at like your whole self. Yeah. Like your, and, and even just as I mentioned earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus's high calling um, of commitment. It's not just to be an outward behavior like, you know, um, don't commit adultery, but don't, it goes down to the very heart. Yeah. And, uh, I think about the, I mean, that text in Romans 12 is, uh, I mean, it, it is such a, uh, really hard text in one sense to fathom of self-sacrifice in this way, this idea of sacrifice. And if we think about it with the body, it's like, I, I could sacrifice just my arm. Mm. But w- what kind of sacrifice is that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and what does that actually accomplish? Mm-hmm. It does me more harm, whereas that that entire body self-sacrifice of giving myself to God to see the work that he does, right, is what we're called to. It is, like you said, all in. This is the cost of discipleship, right? This yeah. is what we need to be clear with um, in in our evangelism, you know, when we're calling people to turn to Christ, we're not asking them to, you know, add on uh, he, here's a great way to be fulfilled and kind of your spiritual, the spiritual side of you. No, it's like a, it's a, it's it's all in. It's we call people to come and die, um, and uh, and then therefore live with with Christ. Um, that can be that can be a turnoff, particularly in the midst of the challenges that in our culture yeah. that we're talking about uh, earlier. Um, it can lead us to despair, especially when we consider, when we look at our lives and we realize we have 
fudged. We have not presented our bodies fully, but we've kind of just maybe gotten halfway in the pool. Yeah. Um, so any, any thoughts on how we should respond to such a high calling, such a challenge and goal for our lives when we might be tempted to, to despair or, you know, just think, oh, that's impossible. Yeah. So I, I think, um, part of this is the hope of, uh, the covenant, right? We're entering into a covenant with God and, and recognizing the seriousness of that. And yet, what do we know about God and his character is that he is going to hold to his covenant, right? We've seen that throughout scripture, his faithfulness, and therefore his faithfulness to us, that uh, when we repent of sin, he is, he is there, right, to forgive us through what Christ has done on the cross. And that repentance of, of turning away from what I've done, not just confession and saying I'm sorry, uh, but a heart attitude of turning away from that sin is, is the hope in what uh, Christ has accomplished for us, and therefore we're not in this alone, right? Mm-hmm. It, is, it is the work that he's done that we look at. Yeah, and that's—we're uh, not done yet. Sorry, I'm not going to let you go quite yet, because I have a few more All things right. I want to talk about with you, but that's ultimately where we land, like in view of the mercies of God, and we're yeah. going to just consider that maybe yet again. <laughs> we, you can never get enough of uh, the gospel heart and motive behind all of this. Um, But we've talked about some bad motivations to obey and seek to please God in terms of commitment, you know, uh, fear of man, wanting to fit in, um, spiritual performance. It's ultimately still just all about me and how I feel about myself, self-esteem, whatnot. But what are some good intentions that drive us to this commitment to obedience to God? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And uh, often we can just be taskmasters on ourselves. And Part of what is helpful for me in my own life is thinking about what is the opposite of what I'm struggling with, right? So for example, uh, if I struggle with anger, uh, maybe part of the question I should be asking is not, how do I stop being angry, but actually how do I love others better, right? How do I show love? How do I show appreciation in the way that I respond, in the way that I react based on God's love for me, right? Uh, I think about, all right, uh, let's say that I, I struggle with stealing. Right? It's not that I just stop stealing and find ways to stop having avenues to steal. I actually should recognize my own heart. Oh, I need to be generous to other people. I need to be able to give. Uh, it's the same thing with uh, lust, right? If I'm, I'm struggling with lust, is not just, oh, I need to stop lusting after people. No, I need to see what true beauty is in somebody, that I would see how God made them and created them, what they should be in light of God's work in their life. And, and so therefore, I'm turning that picture from looking at myself and saying, how do I stop doing X, Y, or Z, to how do I start serving others and ultimately giving God the glory? And it turns that picture to a positive uh, pursuit in my life. Because I can beat myself up over not checking all the boxes, mm-hmm. but I can also encourage others and myself in caring for them in a way that promotes them to know God more. Uh, and, and I think that for me has been one of the most helpful things as I've dealt with some of these things of commitment is how committed am I to seeing those around me know God more because of the way that I love them, the way that I care for them, uh, the way that I give of myself um, to serve them. And it takes the eyes off of me checking all the boxes of not sinning. 
Yeah, that's really helpful. What I hear you describing is just what the biblical writers talk about. Well, I'm thinking about Paul and like, I think it's what's Colossians 3, the putting off and putting on. Um, it's not just saying no to the flesh, but then putting on righteousness. It's yeah. making a better choice. And it's essentially the walk of the believer of repentance and faith at daily. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you gave some great examples. It also made me think of like Zacchaeus. Uh, Jesus says that, you know, salvation has come to this house, not just because he said, oh, okay, I'm done stealing, but then he was going to give back, then he's going to show generosity. Yeah. So just like you said. Uh, so those are great examples. Um, so as we, there's this all of life commitment to God, which we often refer to as just the lordship of Christ in our lives that we make upon conversion, right? Um, kind of that's what I was talking about before about the cost of discipleship. Um, but that big decision is walked out in lots of everyday little commitments, right? Uh, so what are some specific commitments maybe that you have made, uh, maybe while working, you know, in a secular environment or even today in this stage of your life that has helped you do the very practice and walk of faith that you were just describing of kind of putting, putting off sin and pursuing righteousness, pursuing that obedience and commitment to the Lord? Yeah, uh, that's that's a good way to to put that and provoke our thinking. Um, you know, in uh, my previous years of working uh, in the secular world, what did uh, you do? Uh, I was working in, in a, a for a marketing company in the auto industry, and one of the things that I had to press myself on, which has continued to be a good commitment, is just the reality of honesty in the workplace. Uh, it is easy to want to justify why you screwed something up. Right? Why a project went bad? Why something didn't work out? Why somebody missed? You know, whatever deadline. And for myself was to pursue honesty, which required me to be transparent with what was happening and to admit to failures and recognize wrongs done, and not just seek to cover them up, but how can I help make them better? How can I rectify what is wrong? And that allowed me gospel opportunity, right? To say I can be honest in this because it, it isn't the end of life. My my world isn't crashing down because. I let somebody else down, right? So I, I think that's hopefully a helpful example in, in the, my secular workplace life that I had to work through. Um, I think in ministry, all right, similarly, if we transfer that over to fear of man, um, it is easy in ministry to be fearful of man, right? That I will let down the people in our congregation as I seek to pastor them, as I, uh, you know, battle with my own sin and uh, my own fears or my own doubts, um, being fearful that that will impact others and therefore recognizing, no, I can actually battle with sin and deal with sin in accountability with others. And, and that can be in all areas of my life, allowing others in our congregation to walk along with me and for them to see the growth steps, right? To say, no, my motivation is that you will know God more in light of my own failures and that I will know God more as he works in me. And it's emphasizing a bigger picture than just my life or my fear of others but actually God's work in their lives and my life as we live the Christian walk together. Those are great examples. Thank you, Mark, for sharing those. Um, and I think I th what I hear you describing is a, com a, a putting a confidence not in your, again, not in yourself or your strength of character or ability or gifting to maybe keep commitments, but your recognition that you're a sinner and that you fall short. And, and yet your confidence is your righteousness comes from another, comes yeah. from Christ so that you can, um, you can 
own your your sin. Yeah. You can and say, yeah, I, I screwed up and what I did was wrong. When you when you fall short and say fearing man or you are deceitful and try to sh- uh, you know shove the blame on someone else for a failed project or a circumstance rather than take ownership for that. But if we know that we are justified in Christ, if we know that that alone, you know, is our is our rock and our foundation, we can be. It frees us, doesn't it? Yeah. To be transparent and to be, um, to be, you know, honest about uh, all the ways that we fail each and every day. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that freeing part is what is so uh, important. Has been such a huge impact in my own life of not feeling the weight of if I fail. Uh, it's it's the end of the world, so to speak. The, and and part of what's helpful is Scripture doesn't put that reality in front of us, right? Scripture isn't telling us we can live a perfect life. Mm-hmm. It motivates us to live perfectly, but mm-hmm. with the recognition of no, I will need to repent of sin mm-hmm. until Christ returns. I'm I'm still a sinner, right? Paul talks about this struggle, and I, I think it's unhealthy spiritually for us to put false expectations of perfection uh, in our lives. Mark, just one maybe final question. Um, unless we uh, we go off on a little rabbit trail here in the end, but I think a good place to conclude is always the gospel. We've already mm-hmm. kind of been circling. Let's land the plane here. Um, as we think about our commitment to God, as we as we think about His His call that's all encompassing in our lives, um, and even setting boundaries for ourselves and how we're going to make, you know, small commitments each day to be committed to him, it's easy to fall back into legalism. Um, something that, you know, you even shared a little bit of from your background that often maybe was a, a motivation in terms of keeping the rules. Um, what does it mean, though, to be committed to God and obey in view of the Lord's mercy? So we've already kind of talked about this, but anything, any kind of concluding thoughts in view of God's mercy and being committed to him, what, you know, any, any final words? For sure. So the, the text that immediately comes to mind is Romans 8.1. There's no mm. condemnation, right, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that becomes our motivation uh, is God's mercy for us, right? Uh, I, I set boundaries for my life that I don't want to take lightly because Christ died for sin, right? I'm not setting boundaries just so I can do better, but because I know that Christ paid a penalty for sin, and what I want most is for him to be glorified and exalted in that. And so he, he showed mercy to me, therefore my response is to joyfully pursue him with all that he gives me to do that. And I become a legalist when I take my eyes off of the cross and put them on myself, uh, as if my obedience is self-satisfying, as if that's what's going to make me whole as if that's what's going to help me be joyful in life. And instead, my obedience should be really an, an exaltation of Christ's sacrifice to save me. What he accomplished on the cross is what my obedience should point to. Um, not proof that it happened, but that he gave me grace and mercy. And therefore, it is free, right, to live in the comfort of God's mercy. Amen. Um, that, as you were as you were referencing uh, that, that concept of... Um, that, that freedom that we know and uh, just the God's commands aren't burdensome. It made me think of 1 John 5, where John is saying that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And we've, he's already meditated on that in 1 John 3. And he says, uh, 
and who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands, for this is what the love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. Hmm. And I, that's exactly what I heard you describing, and I, and I thank God for how he's done that work in your life and the example that you're setting for the believers here, uh, both you and Jen. Uh, so I'm grateful that in God's providence, eight years ago, wow, yeah. that he uh, that he brought you guys here. And we'll, we'll give the final word to uh, Jerry Bridges. Um, I think he, he says there is an all-out, unreserved, nothing-held-back commitment to the pursuit of holiness. And though it may be exhausting, it will not be oppressive if it is grounded in grace. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark, for joining us. You've yeah, been great. Thanks for the offer. Uh, that was the wrong button. Let me I see here. That, that was a good one. Great. There we go. Yeah. That was great to be here. I look forward to hopefully coming back if you invite me again, you know? Yes. Thank you for coming back, even after that first experience. Wow, that was a doozy. <laughs> no, that was great. On finances, right? Was yep. that what we talked yeah, about? On finances, yeah, that was good. So. good stuff. You can uh, go back to our archives, listeners, and if you want to listen to Mark's reflection on generosity and stewardship, um, you can go back and do you remember what we called that one? Stewardship, you know maybe? Yeah, it sounds great. Search for Mark Whitcomb, or you can... Uh, message me and I'll send you a link. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks, Dan.